standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here, and welcome to this week's Sunday Chops, in which I'm going to be talking about an excellent new book, My Pen is the Wing of a Bird, which is on sale now, featuring short stories by 18 new female writers in Afghanistan. It exists thanks to the hard work of the people behind the Writers' Development Programme Untold, and exists despite the not insubstantial obstacles of a global pandemic and the disaster that befell Afghanistan last summer. I talked to the founder of Untold, Lucy Hanna, and to Shakiba Habib, one of the translators who worked on the stories and now lives in the UK. We talk about life for women in Afghanistan today, about the work necessary to pull this book together, and about the variety of stories it tells. Now, I'm recording this on Friday, and I won't lie, editing words about the fall of Kabul while watching the horror unfold in Ukraine was almost too sad to bear. We've already seen heroic sacrifice on the part of Ukraine's military, which is, of course, predominantly men, and I'm sure there will be much more to come. But I hope this chops will remind you that in war, women, children, the elderly and the disabled always pay a terrible price too. The people of Ukraine are in our thoughts and if you have friends and family there, you are too. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined by Lucy Hannah, founder of the Writers Development Programme Untold. Hello, Lucy. Hi, Hannah. I'm also joined by Shakiba Habib, one of the translators of said story. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hi. Where I'm going to start is with you, Lucy. My pen is the wing of a bird, 18 Afghan women telling a variety of stories. Now, this project seems like a huge undertaking when you started it, which was before the pandemic and before America's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. So maybe we could start with what the aim was when you started and then we could progress to how things went along. Yes, well, we thought it was going to be quite a challenge anyway, as you say, let alone all the, all the other things. It started probably around four years ago. I was working in Kabul for BBC Media Action, which is the charity arm of the BBC, working with scriptwriters on the local radio soap opera there. And we were in conversation and some of the women scriptwriters were saying how frustrated they were with the lack of opportunity to publish their own prose fiction as opposed to their scriptwriting day job. And that led to us talking about the local infrastructure, the lack of publishing opportunities for women in particular, and that you probably have to pay someone to have some work published or not have it acknowledged at all. And to have it in translation to a wider audience was virtually impossible. So... I suggested to them that what if we tried to get something off the ground, which was a project wherein we could enable writers, women writers in particular, to get their prose fiction developed and have a chance of publication locally and globally. And they were very keen. And with the initial help from the British Council and the Bagri Foundation, I set up Untold, and this was our launch project. We didn't know then what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, quite. So 
I would imagine that part of the problem was you're talking about women who are scattered over a huge geographical area. They're not necessarily that easy to contact. So how did you advertise this opportunity? We put out an open call, which is a a sort of call out for submissions for, for short stories in Dari and Pashtu, the two main languages of Afghanistan. And several people said, oh, you'll probably get maybe 20 submissions, 30 submissions. We actually got 100 and 120, nearly 125 for the first call. And then in 2021, we did another open call and we got nearly 300 wow. submissions. So there was a need for this. That's um, both incredible and from an organisational point of view, terrifying. Yes, yes. Well, then we put together a team of Afghan readers, in inverted commas, people who we felt would be interested in the literary scene and who could look at the stories with the potential of those voices, in a way, being published locally and globally. And, I mean, this brings into question gatekeepers and, and all sorts of, you know, those tricky areas. But in a way, this set out to be a, a very conventional writer development programme where, you know, a call goes out, an open call, people submit, and we can't work with everybody. And so it's quite subjective in that the team of readers chose a long list of 25 who we then started working with, with an international team of translators and editors. And that's where Shakiba came in. Great. That's a great way to bring you in. So... What appealed to you particularly about this project? How did you get involved and how did you know you really needed to be involved? As Lucy mentioned, I was approached and being a woman from Afghanistan and being a refugee here in the UK, that was the main thing that appealed to me because I knew it's a great opportunity for women from that part of the world to be able to express themselves. We know that most of these stories are um, fiction, but I can see a real story behind every one of them. Mm. The project looked really, really um, interesting. And as Lucy mentioned, something that was much needed back in Afghanistan. We hardly have such a body to bring these women together. It's a male-dominated society. So even if you write down a story, a woman writes down a story. So I'm sure in so many places it will go under the uh, vision of a man um, Mm. to be approved for printing and to be edited and when I heard about the team and I saw that most of the work was done by a female and it was looked at by female and obviously it's something that they could own. It's it's a woman when from Afghanistan writes something, so she knows there's someone who can hear their voices very far away, mm. but uh, still very concerned about their plight. Mm. So uh, there were so many things about the project that really appealed to me. And I'm pleased yeah. um, that Lucy agrees to to make me part of the team. Now, I'm guessing you worked quite closely with the writers when you were translating. And I'm sort of interested in that from two points of view, because firstly, I'm guessing it was quite technically difficult. I mean, outside of the time difference and actual tech problems to talk to people. And I'm also curious from a point of view of the sense of responsibility that comes with something like this, with making sure that 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 story actually is that story. I watch a lot of things, a lot of foreign films, and I watch the subtitles, and I think, 
that's not what they just said. I can tell. I can tell that's not what they just said because the passion in the way they said it doesn't come across in that line that just came at the bottom. So I wonder if you could talk us through the process of that a little bit. It's amazing that the example that you mentioned because I've translated a couple of, it's actually more than a couple, it's a few uh, Pashtu songs for some of the singers. And I've edited a few versions and it's amazing to see that how uh, different the subtitles are from because obviously um, translating poetry is not an easy job I don't know how to explain but you can't describe some words you can't describe it um, exactly the same it it would happen in any language Mm. it's not only Pashto or Dari but it's really difficult to have the exact wording and then obviously to keep the rhythm on the poem and everything and besides I had an experience of working as an interpreter and translator for the British government in different um, departments and I knew how important it is because when I used to work for the magistrate courts and high courts, I was required and I tried my best to be as accurate as possible because this was actually about somebody's life. Mm. Yeah, and, and from that, I knew from my experience, I knew that how important it is to basically translate what it's actually mentioned. With this stories, is another point because you're basically portraying someone's feeling. Yeah. And I think for me, the reason I found it um, slightly easier is because I related to some of the stories and I knew about some of them. I knew about these stories that portrayed the life of um, Afghan women, the miseries or the feelings and what they were going through. And being an Afghan w- woman actually, helped me to mm. translate those feelings in more accurate way and because these miseries it was that was my society and I knew um, what was happening mm. in there and and I was in contact with my distant family and I was in contact with so many friends I've got uh, loads of uh, female friends on uh, social media that I have built up some sort of virtual um, friendship with them and relationships. So I hear from them and I used to hear from them a lot about what was going on even then mm. um, before the Taliban uh, took power for the second time. So, And the other thing was because I've been through uh, what's happening now in Afghanistan because I was in Kabul when the Taliban took power the first time. So it was basically, that was one other point that I thought um, I can portray these um, words mm. appropriately. Yeah, well, brilliant job. Thank you. Lucy, what I found very interesting was the sheer variety of things that these stories are talking about. Some of them are domestic, some of them are political, some of them are historical, some of them are fantasy. Were you looking for a variety or is that just what came in? We were looking not to prescribe any particular theme or narrative onto the process in any way. We were interested in parting the grass, if you like, for emerging writers who were desperate really to to develop as an artist, develop their craft as a writer, like anybody in any other part of the world where there is a established creative infrastructure. And so on that basis, these pieces came as you read them. They they are various. In fact, I mean, that was just how they how they were. I mean, we were, we're working with 25 writers. There are 18 in the anthology. So not everybody managed to get a story into the book because we couldn't 
you know, there was, there was a limit to, to how many we could have. In fact, it was interesting trying to sequence the book because they are very, they are various. And it was, it was interesting, you know, working out what was going to come at the beginning and the end and all it's that. like putting together a playlist almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's really interesting. Now, obviously, pandemic and then, you know, the fall of Kabul. Did that influence the way that the stories were being formed? Did you see a change? Had they already come to you complete stories at that point? No, we were in August. Uh, we were just embarking on the sort of final right. leg, really. Of, so quite a lot of the material was with the writers. Uh, two of our editors then contracted COVID. Uh, so we had a we had a rather incredible moment where Kabul was falling and it felt that, like the project was falling apart but the writers were absolutely committed to carrying on with this work throughout Mm. everything that was going on around them we had to adjust the way we were working for safety and we then you know we overnight in a way we turned from a creative operation to to one that was almost humanitarian and, and and at the same time we would be trying to help people with trying to get out or being very mindful of their safety if, if they were, had cho- you know, they wanted to remain. So we got involved in, in something much, much bigger than we had ever set out to do. We also had to do our best to, for security reasons, to remove anything that we had put up of their work online, which was quite a lot over the last two years because we had released pieces and we had quite a lot on our website, which was a major undertaking. And but despite this, the, the the writers valued, I think, being connected to each other. Or I know they tell me that they value being connected to each other during that period. It was a source of well, just comfort, I suppose, mm. more I think. And they also we began a diary that they're still writing online between each other and untold, charting from the middle of August right up to now, and they they continue with that every day. Obviously, some of them began to leave the country. So it became very checkered. It became a huge challenge to to complete the process Mm. that we started. Yes, but we'd managed it one way or another. As you point out, in your postscript to the book, you know, there is no section that says about this writer, mm. which is very sad, obviously. But I will say, interestingly, knowing nothing, not knowing whether this is the first thing this person has ever written, whether this person is 18 or 70, is actually quite interesting, I think, from the point of view, if I was going to find a positive in what is a very, very sad thing I think reading it almost like an open submission thing when we I mean the only thing we know is that this is a woman and she lives in Afghanistan that's an interesting way to go about reading it but obviously it's very very sad the writers can I ask what we know about their circumstances now eight are remaining in Afghanistan 10 have now left Afghanistan at the right in the at the time of writing the afterwards six had left right so you can see the sort of pace at which things are, are happening but for those living in afghanistan at the moment their situation is varied two are not in kabul the others are 
I won't tell you too much, but suffice to say that two or three of them are still working, but not. they don't know for how much longer because mm. of the financial situation that their workplace isn't, has only got a limited amount of time. It can keep funding because they rely on international funds. And Shakiba might be able to say a little bit more about the situation generally for women at the moment. Please. Unfortunately, as... Um... You may have seen it on the news and it's basically the studies everywhere. It's not an ideal situation for a woman in there. It hasn't been ideal for such a long time, but now it's really, really sad to see those women and young girls having all these hopes. They made plans for their lives. And in a matter of 24 hours, everything is just Mm. gone, vanished. And I have said it uh, many times before and I have written it on my social media. One thing which really, really bothers me and it makes me really, really sad is what those females went through 20 years ago when the Taliban were there Mm. for the first time. Now their younger generation, their daughters will be going through the same thing. This is so sad because they actually, they were brought up. So person who got married 20 years ago, so now will have a daughter who is 18 or 19 years old. And that generation, they were brought up in relatively liberal situation Mm. and liberal environment for um, their girls. They had, at least they had access to education, not an ideal level of education, but still they had access to education. They were working, they were um, going out with their friends, they were celebrating their birthdays. So even the tiny little things that they could just like go out of their house when they wanted to. All those opportunities that they could study and even study abroad. So they were actually, Afghanistan uh, was open to outside and while I was there. So these opportunities didn't exist. And I was, and, and I was so happy that I could see the next generation. Mm. They had access to all these opportunities, but all of a sudden, in without any notice and without any prior planning or anything, it's just a matter of 24 hours or even less than that. Everything vanished. Everything went away and some were separated from their families and some are now stuck in their homes. Mm. They can't access education. Their plans are shattered. Their future is out of their hands and they don't know what to do. And I must say that when I was in Kabul, when Taliban were there the first time, there were girls who got married just for the sake of not having anything else to do because there was no schools, there was no university, there was no work. So their families, because they, they didn't know what's going to happen mm. just for their security, even the, the, the basic security. They just like married their girls to people that didn't even want to, to get married to those Men. So imagine if, if, if a woman is going through for her own life, now she will be worried for her daughter. So I've spoken to my uh, friends on social media and they're just saying that we don't know what to do. We don't have no plan. We mm. can't make a plan. And you have heard about the protesters, the women, the female protesters who are missing. Yeah. And now no one will have the courage to come out and then say something or raise their voices because they will be like missing and gone to God knows where. I can't imagine anything worse than this for an Afghan woman. Yeah. In the summer, my brother runs a, he runs a hotel. And back in the summer, I went round to my mum's house. And the hotel is near my mum's house. So I went and stopped in and saw him. And the place was just alive with 
Afghan families that had come out of Kandahar, I believe, and the, the government had, had put them in my brother's hotel, which was empty because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we were in the car park having a cigarette and we were watching the little girls because a local scout troop had been down to bring them some toys and some things. Um, and they were playing. My phone peeped and it was a notification and it said that Kabul had like fallen. I can't tell you what I thought. I think it was one of the most profound things that had ever happened to me because I just thought, oh, my God, there are loads of these little girls that didn't get out. And, yeah, it was really upsetting. It was really, really upsetting. Can I ask you if you don't mind me asking what it's like for the women that have got out what's it like coming to England and how welcome were you made to feel Uh, I've got a huge number of my colleagues who were actually uh, evacuated from Kabul because they were working with um, British companies obviously um, they were prioritized and I'm glad for the um, single girls I'm sure they have gone through a lot to convince their families mm. to be allowed to travel on their own to a country that they've never been to, mm-hmm. to a different culture, to a different society. And I know it's been a shock because I can relate to this because when I came here, it's worth mentioning to let you know that I used to dress as I dress here. I used to dress in Kabul like this before mm-hmm. Taliban and Mujahideen came. So I was kind of well prepared for what the English or British society would be. Yeah. Uh, but still, I had the shock of my life and obviously uh, things were new to me. And, and simple things like the cuisine, you know, the food, it was just, it didn't taste the same. And I yeah, we got horrible family. food, I would imagine, <laughs> in comparison. <laughs> and I missed my family. I missed my mom. And then, um, so th- th- these are the things. However, I must say that um, they are really, really grateful for how they were uh, received, basically. Their welcome was absolutely fun. However, I mean, some they do complain because they have stayed for these hot- uh, in these hotels for um, quite some time, but most of them are really, 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 really grateful for being out of that situation and yeah, of course. Uh, for them to make it here. However, there's uh, one thing um, that most of the fa- because I did um, some translation for their families as well, mainly for female. One thing which really, really came at the top of every single conversation was that why their over 18 or adult children are not allowed to come with them as part of their family. Because the British law says that families, only those uh, who are under 18 and the dependent families. So it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I can see being a mom and I've got a 14 years old son and it would be heartbreaking and I'm, I'm thinking because my colleagues were basically, they were kind of like asked, okay, this is the time to evacuate, leave your children and this is it. But if I had a choice to either stay with my kid or come to the UK, I would definitely choose yeah. to stay with my children. Mm. This was one of the things that most families were really, really upset about. And I think, I don't know, because it's, it's a legal issue and obviously it, it, it requires a lot to be changed mm. but I hope there's something to be done this was one of the uh, concerns that every single mom with an over 18 uh, child has said it to me yeah yeah that's barbaric I don't know how this works but I would assume that there is a kind of a similar thing with leaving if you have an elderly parent that you cared for that would be your sort of sense of responsibility absolutely to them. it's yeah that's terrible revisiting the book for a bit I wanted to ask you both which uh, it's going to be impossible for you to pick because it's like asking which of your children is your favourite. What's your favourite story in this? I'm not sure if you keep it. I've seen 
the, the finished book yet. <laughs> no, I haven't. You can say what what yeah, what story you enjoyed working on most, I suppose. So the Shakiba was one of three or four translators working at any one time. And so not all translators will have seen every story. Yeah. If Shakiba would tell me the one that she was most interested in working on and you could tell me the one of all of them. Such a mean question. I can't believe I've asked it. I actually like the one about the red boots. The? Uh, red boots. I'm not yes. sure if it's in the book or not. Uh, yes, it is, but... yes, it is, yes, it is. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm so pleased. It reminds me of my own childhood going with my dad out for shopping. It wasn't an ideal thing to do. I preferred going shopping with my mom, but there were a specific couple of occasions that I went um, shopping uh, with my dad and the shoes I bought, they were too tight for me. It was my own fault because I loved the shoes and then poor dad, he bought it for me. But when I came home, um, the shoes were not the right size. So these red boots actually uh, brings back all these memories. Mm. And it's written really, really nicely. I don't know. I, I don't know much about the literature and the um, specifications, but to me, it looked really, really smooth. And because I could see myself in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely love that story. Do you know, I was thinking about this book because I, I love words and I, I love it when you discover a word in a language that doesn't really exist in another language. I mean, like, you know, the Germans have loads of them, but... um. There's a Portuguese word called saudade that doesn't translate at all. And what it means, I don't know if you've heard of it, but what it means is a kind of homesickness for a thing that can never exist again. And I would imagine reading this book probably gives you a touch of that. That's probably the best example of that word that I could think of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, precisely, because every single studio and it's really, really, as you mentioned, it's really, really difficult, like picking up um, uh, among your children. So which one is your favorite? But um, it's the same thing. There are a couple of other stories that I really, really loved. And they were it was it was amazing that how they could just like write down such a nice way. And then they put and in really articulated way and then they put everything together so mm. nicely and it, it was amazing and yes there are a couple of more <laughs> that i really really like but uh, yeah but this one it was actually standing up so. yeah and what about you lucy oh god it's it's so hard if i had to i think oh, it's, it's just impossible um the dogs are not to blame i really like it, it i think some of these are which is about a petition writer in winter in kabul and it's almost like a line drawing. It's just so simple, mm. but it's so evocative. And you really, the sense of place is, I don't, did you like that one? Yeah, I, li- I was going to say I liked all of them. I was really impressed by the one at the bo- about the bomb at the wedding. That was really, yes, that was, that although was I can't remember what it was called now. Um, beautiful um, lips. Um, yeah, uh, that was terrific. The most beautiful lips in the world. And that one and the word blossom, which was also, they were, really directly inspired by real life incidents and we had a sort of separate workshop about that with three of the writers uh who were very keen to focus on a a specific event yeah and a really uh, interesting process yeah so i have i have one last question for you if this book is the voice of or a series of voices from afghanistan what is it they're saying (laughs) well it's not for me it's not for me to say I think it, I don't. I think you have to to take from the stories whatever whatever you think. Right. But I think in the afterword, Mariam Majoba, who's the author of two of these pieces, 
recounts a story, uh, I don't know if you remember, it recounts a story from the Masnavi, which is a Persian, Arab, a Turk and a Greek were traveling together and they received a present of a dirham and the Persian said he wished to buy Angur with it. Shagiba can correct my pronunciation. The Arab said he would buy Inab, while the Turk and the Greek were for buying Uzum and Astafil, respectively. They argued as to which of them would get his way until a wise man who spoke all their languages intervened and he explained that they all wanted grapes. And Mariam says, I also want grapes. And I think mm. I think that Shagiba, am I <laughs> that, that I pronounced everything? Yes, that was perfect. Anyway, I think that's the that's the point. Mariam says it so beautifully there, which is really this is this is about translation. It's about stepping into other people's shoes. It's about everything that great literature is, which is taking you somewhere else. Yeah, other than your own world. And Absolutely. Out comfort zone of where you're sitting and that's what's so fabulous about it and and I should say that it, it sounds we did have a lot of laughs along the way uh, in case it doesn't we had a really we've had a fantastic uh, over two years of of making really good deep friendships and creative collaborations and we hope to continue terrific and, yeah I would actually second what Lucy said. I think it's a great way of expressing somebody's life story and what they have been through. And also, I think it's a great opportunity for them. And I'm sure they would didn't have it otherwise, that they were given this opportunity to express themselves. I mean, being their own experience or uh, something that they have witnessed. I wish I, wish I had this opportunity. Mm. while I was in Afghanistan um, yeah. this is my own kind of feeling that I wish I had an opportunity um, for my life study or whatever I've been through to came out alive in such a form yeah um, in the form of a book that would be a privilege and and personally I think um, and and I'm sure these writers will be chuffed that they were given this opportunity and and thank you to whoever was involved in the project and obviously Lucy to lead this and come up with such a great idea Yeah, that we wouldn't be able to have it otherwise. Um, it's, it's a great thing. It's the beginning of a programme. These writers are carrying on. They're sending us more work as we speak and, you know, with, with support, we <coughs> have to continue this really because this is just, it's just, you know, as you as you can see, Hannah, it's just these are short pieces, often from very new writers, and in a way, all of them have got potential to to be something longer. Mm. Actually, absolutely, I totally agree. The end game is to attempt to get this published so that women in Afghanistan can read it themselves. Yes, well, that was always the parallel game, mm. and we had a, a publishing local partner there, but but that was one of the things, sadly, that that has gone on hold for now. Yes, because most of the publishers, um, they have closed down. Unfortunately, they had to sell their printing machines. I've been in contact with many of them recently about my um, own job, the work that I do. And they complain that the sale of books have gone really dramatically down. Mm. There, there are many reasons. Um, many people have left Afghanistan. Yeah. And people have been discouraged, basically. They've been disheartened because there's no education. Um, mainly for women and 
there was a buzz for the past uh, 20 years, especially in the last 10, 15 years, there was a buzz about reading books. Um, everyone was encouraging their uh, kids, where in my time it wasn't the case. Mm. So, um, yeah, and unfortunately, the, most of the businesses gone bust. So, yeah. That's really sad. Actually, while I have you, I might ask you one more quick question. There's a lot of concern about Afghanistan, but it's not always organised or sort of pointed in the right direction. If people are listening to this, they want to do something to attempt to improve the lives of women in Afghanistan, either with their time or with their money. Outside from buying your book, how can they do that? Well, if they're interested in creative you know, helping us to continue our creative programme, of course, I'm obviously going to say, please donate to Untold. Mm. And you can do that from our website, www.untold-stories.org. But that's, if you would like to go down that route, obviously, maybe Shakiba could talk about other needs. We would love, love you to buy the book and to support us. Yeah. Um, do it, people. Definitely. I mean, the first thing is just uh, buying these books and supporting Untold. And besides uh, those uh, major charities working um, on the ground, what I personally do, I um, basically know people through my family members, distant family members that um, they are suffering and they are uh, struggling with every day, basically the minimum. And I kind of like contribute uh, in cash towards that. And also, I uh, actually we have got some Afghan uh, charities working there. There are organizations like um, Save the Children and all those big NGOs and uh, UN organizations. So obviously, uh, it's just donate, donate, donate. (laughs) And also, if there's any opportunity like a project similar to Untold, that would be a great thing. And especially focusing on women. Yeah, and maybe online classes um, in um, for some of the um, university students who have left like halfway through. Some online classes will be ideal. So yeah. it's basically anything. Anything, um, yeah, yeah. That's a sad anything, state of affairs, any, isn't it? Where literally any help, yeah, absolutely. Also, you know, it's these writers were writing stories well before August. It's just that now people are hearing them, mm. and. That's in a way, you know, I don't think we want, we want to avoid that happening. Yeah. And then you know, buy this book, just read the stories and see where it takes you. And perhaps just then don't put it down and, and think that no one's writing in Afghanistan because like everywhere else, there are writers. And if you're a reader, it's, inspiring and broadening to have the privilege of reading them absolutely that people can still have the time and the will and the energy to have imagination when they're living in sometimes some quite bleak circumstances all the the more so yeah triumph for the human spirit story stuff that is it really is thank you so much for both of your time my pleasure it's been it's been really interesting thank you thank you Standard issue for all women.